Thank you, girls. I think that's one of my favorite. Those are my sermon notes. No, no, they're yours. Okay. Another one. One of my favorite new songs, and uh, I just love that song. Well, Chris and Amy's here. With um, is is Maggie with you, or is she in the nursery? Want you stand and let people go ooh and ah. Congratulations to Chris and Amy, and uh, I'm so happy that, that, that finally that baby came, and so is Amy. Well, we've been tracking what it means to be ordinary people following Jesus, kind of who we are, um, our, our vision of who we are. You know, we're just ordinary folks, and we're just trying to follow Jesus. You know, nothing uh, particularly special other than we're just people on this journey together trying to follow Jesus. And, and we started this process by focusing on the unique Jesus. We, we focused on the eternal need we all have and, and how God has met this eternal need with, with Jesus. Uh, and, and Jesus is unique. Jesus is fully God and fully human. If we forget his divinity, then he becomes just another man who, who died. But if we forget his humanity, we lose that connection. It's in that that fullness of that divinity and the fullness of that humanity that Jesus reconciles lost humanity to, to his father. And so he's fully divine, he's fully human, and Jesus is alive. Every Sunday we gather in this place, and when we gather on Sunday morning, by gathering in this place on Sunday morning, we are saying Jesus is alive because Jesus rose on Sunday. He rose on the first day of the week. And as we think about Jesus is alive, we, we realize that this gives authority to his words. It gives authority to his life. It, 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 it shows us that God is at work. And, and folks, we have reason to hope today because Jesus is alive. We are people of the resurrection and we have hope today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this leads us to the next thing that I believe it's important that we see. Jesus invites us to relationship, not mere religion. He doesn't invite us just to ritual or, 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 or just going through the motions, but he invites us to this vibrant, living relationship. Now, now there's nothing wrong with religion. I, I'm not bashing religion unless... The organized church is, is all that it is. If, if there's no special presence of Christ in a church, it's just a club. If, if when we go to church, all we're doing is going through motions and, and doing what, what, other, what, what we think we should do, but we're not connecting with God in our church services, if we're gathering just for the purpose of gathering and we're not connecting with God, we're, we're, we're missing the point. There's nothing wrong with orthodoxy, and, and this is a system of beliefs. And there's nothing wrong with orthopraxy, which is, which, which is establishing how we should live. And, and so churches do both. Churches say, here's what we believe, and here's how we think we should live, in relation to those beliefs. There's nothing wrong in and of themselves with any of those things unless our belief system and our practices replace a real relationship with Jesus Christ. If religion trumps relationship, it becomes heresy. 
It becomes something other than God intended. It becomes legalism. And all of us have probably at some point in our life been part of a group or a church that, that some in that church became legalist. And it was all about the form and not the substance of this relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus invites us to relationship, not mere religion. Now, now we see this in the great commandment. The great commandment says this, teacher, that Jesus has asked, teacher, what is the great commandment? Greatest commandment in the law. And he said, you shall love your Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole law and prophets. It's really interesting what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't talk about obedience. Jesus doesn't talk about sacrifice. Jesus doesn't talk about... All the things that, that we would think about when we're talking about following the commands, Jesus says, love. Love your heavenly Father. Love God with all your heart, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So, so love, a relationship word, is what God desires. God desires your love this morning. More than anything else, God doesn't just want your obedience. God doesn't just want your fear. God's desire for you is to understand that he loves you and you love him back. The heart of the Father, that's what he wants. It's, it's a relationship. God is desiring this intimate relationship with you. Jesus and John 15 is with his disciples and it's the, the night he's betrayed and and, and there's, John gives us so much tender language in, in this evening with Jesus and with the disciples. This is when he washes their feet, and, uh, or if you're from Indiana, it's where he washes their feet. Uh, in Ohio, you guys don't see the R that's in that word, but uh, he washes their feet. And, you know, he, we, we, we've used the, the language, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We find that in that last evening. And then, John 15, you have the language of the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Is there a common word that you see in this passage? I think I counted 
and you guys can count, tell me if I'm wrong, I think he uses the word abide nine times in this short little passage. So, so you know, if he's using that word that often, I, I would assume that is a key concept that Jesus is trying to get them to understand, that the concept of abiding in. And, and, and there's a lot of different words you could use, abide, wait, remain, stay, live. All these are the kind of words that Jesus is using. He's saying, I want you to wait in my love. I want you to live in my love. I want you to stay in my love. I want you to spend time in my love. I want you to be with me. I want you just to to spend time with me. See, John 15 is an invitation to an intimate, loving, close relationship with our Heavenly Father. And he's using this example from life. And, and, and some scholars, uh, Bruce Wilkerson wrote a little book called The Vine, The Secrets of the Vine. Anybody read that? It was out 20 years ago or so. And, and, and he, he kind of makes the point that it looks like they have left the upper room and they're, they're walking through the fields. And, and so there's, you know, there would be grapevines all over in Jerusalem. And, and, and the ideal is that Jesus is walking through the field and as he's walking past the vine, he just uses it as an illustration of what it means to to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this example from life. And and he talks about two types of branches. He talks about branches that are connected and and branches that aren't connected. And the, the branch that's not truly connected by abiding, by loving, by relationship is cut off. You see, there's two parts of this. There's the beautiful part of of life and love and joy and and fruit. And then there's this other part where there's this hanger-on branch that looks like the other branches, but it's not connected in the church. It's possible to be a branch that's not connected to the vine. It's possible to be here and know all the right things to say, and do all the right things, and wear all the right clothes. You know, you, you know the Nazarene manual, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do, right? So all those things that we do, and you begin to, you know, you can almost begin to look like a branch, but you're just a dead limb laying by the vine. You know, there's the awful reality here that Jesus says, you know, if you're not connected by relationship, it's useless, it's trash, it's to be thrown away. And I think as a pastor, I need to let you know this, this morning, if, if you're relying on something other than relationship in Christ, if you're not abiding in him, if you're not living in him, if you're not connected to his love, if that's not what's consuming you, you're wasting your time. But the other side of it's lovely and beautiful. He says, but when you're connected, when you abide in me, when my relationship, your love for me and my love for you becomes a central thing in your life, when this is the most important thing that you have, when you're connected, when you're abiding, when you're waiting, when you're staying in me, there's fruit. Ask anything. You know, just just ask. You will will live life 
to the full, you will become fruitful. So I thought about this as you talk about, as we talk about religion and relationship. I, I think mere religion conforms, but relationship with Jesus transforms. I think oftentimes we settle for conformity when Jesus is offering transformation. You know, it's like Romans 12, 1 and 2. It talks about, you know, don't no longer be conformed by this world, but be transformed. Relationship with your heavenly Father. Relationship abiding in Christ will transform your life. Thought about that, and you know, we say, you know, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And and to be honest, I, I think probably most of us would agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't think I'm saying anything that anybody would disagree with. And, uh, you know, I think most in the church would agree with it. But, but what does it practically mean? When you say it's not about religion, but it's about relationship, when you say that, what does it mean? I, I put a fo- Facebook post through. And, folks, when I do that stuff, I honestly want feedback. I mean, I, I, I'm doing my sermon prep, and I want you to do the sermon for me, Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that, that, that's a good, you know, social media can be used in a lot of different ways. And one way I like to use social media is just to get feedback, a conversation after or before a sermon about what it means. What, what does it mean to live in relationship as opposed to just being purely religious? And I got a few real awesome answers, but, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this more, and to, to me... You know, I, I think in images, and, and I, I guess the question I'd ask is, what image would best describe or best characterize your Christian walk? You know, what, what image, when you think about your Christian walk, what picture comes to mind? And, and a couple images came to mind. Is, is your Christian walk characterized by a time clock or a kitchen table? <laughs> See the difference? <laughs> You know, I think if your spiritual walk, if your Christian walk, and, and I'm using the phrase spiritual walk, I, I got to tell you, if your spiritual walk is characterized by a time clock, it's not very spiritual. And it's not even what Christ intended. You know, I, I think of somebody whose who's spiritual walk or, or, or religious activity is characterized by a time clock. I think about prayer. Pr- prayer is about punching a clock doing what we need to do to get what we need God to do in our life. It's like, okay, I need, I need a, a new bedroom suite, so I'm going to spend some time in prayer because God says ask, and he is all-powerful. And so I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to do my work. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be at the, the office, and I'm going to pray. So I can get from God what I want to get. It's like going to work. Um, how many go to work because you love to? No, don't raise your hand. That, that, that. I, I think about reading your Bible. and Maybe you're a hard worker and you get a lot of reading. And maybe you read many chapters in the Bible a day. And maybe you've read through the Bible a hundred times. But, but if you're honest, you would say, I know things about God but I don't really know God. You know, there's no intimate relationship. You know, the Bible's kind of like this history book, and I can recite the history, and I'm reading about someone. You know, it's like Abraham Lincoln. You know, I'm reading about him, but I've never really talked to him. 
or, or maybe your worship time. I am here because it's Sunday morning and I am supposed to be here. <laughs> Can I just speak on that just for a second? Folks, we're, we're so trained to replace habit for what's real. Uh, I want to do what it, whenever we meet as a body, I want it to have value. Amen? Give me an amen on that one. I don't want to just meet on Wednesday night because we've always met on Wednesday night. That's going through the motions. I want to meet on Wednesday night with a purpose and a reason. You know, I don't even want to meet on Sunday morning if we're not going to have purpose. If, if we're not going to come in here with, with a fresh ideal that there's something God's going to do in our midst, then we might as well stop. You know, I don't want to meet on Sunday night just because, well, the church has met on Sunday night since Jesus. And that's not true, but, you know, in our perspective, that's what we think is true. But I want to meet with purpose. And, and see, it's, it's possible just to gather because that's what you've always done. And, and, and maybe some of you are gathering because if you didn't gather, your spouse would kill you. And, and so it's just survival. You know, why, why do you gather? And, you know, the Bible says don't forsake meeting together, but, but there's got to be a reason. It's not just going through the motion. It's, it's, it's not just doing it to get something from God. What about your serving or your giving? And a guy one time tell me after offering, hey, I, I paid my dues this week. <laughs> you know, tithe's not dues. You know, it's, it's not, you know, giving is not about paying dues or buying a ticket into heaven. It's not some legalistic exercise we do. It's this opportunity to give to our Heavenly Father, to be generous. You know, serving's not just something that, that, that allows God to bless me, but serving is something I can do for God. Where's your Christian walk? Is your spiritual walk marked or best represented by a kitchen table. I, I like the image of a kitchen table, not a dining table. You, you get, who has a kitchen table in your house? Who does more than eat at that kitchen table, right? You do homework, you sit and have coffee, you have conversation. What is it about kitchen tables? You know, kitchen tables are these great places of connection with family and with loved ones. At the kitchen table... Prayer is an intimate conversation with your heavenly Father. It's sitting down and saying, hey, how'd your day go? At the kitchen table, reading the Bible is like a note from home. It's like a love letter from your heavenly Father. It's not just learning about God, but it's seeing his heart. At the kitchen table, serving and giving is participating in the family business. Joining God on his mission and supporting what he's doing. This past, not this past summer, but the summer before, we all went to Guatemala, the whole family. All three boys, Terry. You know, it, it, Kilimanjaro was awesome. I loved that. That was a unique experience. Being on a mission trip with my family was mind-altering. 
You know, to be on, on the field and watch my boys interact with, with, with these kids and do all these things, and, and they're sharing my heart, and I'm sharing their heart. You know, I, I think that's what our Heavenly Father wants to experience in giving. I think He wants us just to share His heart. And so we're serving, and we're loving, and we're generous, and we're giving, and, and our Heavenly Father's with us, and He's saying, you know, that's just how I feel. You know, I love people, and I love giving, and, 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 and that's how I want you to live. Wyatt's worked at Hallmark for um, uh, a couple years off and on, and he always likes to come home with plaques and cards and things like that and spend all the money he's got there. They brought a plaque home that says, The Mills family is about remembering what matters, letting go of what doesn't, laughing, loving, and knowing life is good because we have each other. I love that little plaque. It's in my office. And what if our relationship with God could be worded the same? God's family is about remembering what matters, letting go of what doesn't, laughing, loving, and knowing life is good because we have each other. See, I think that's the spiritual walk God's calling us to. Not a life of drudgery and duty and oh, I got to do this and I got to give that and I got to go there and I got to be here, but just an invitation to this loving relationship, the kitchen table. You know, the center of Christian worship from the early church has not been altars. I love altars and there's always been places to respond, but the center of every worship service has been communion. We call sometimes the Lord's Supper, sometimes it's called the Eucharist, which is just a Thanksgiving meal, but it is a center of Christian worship. Throughout the world, people will be celebrating communion on the Lord's Day. And the table represents fellowship. See, Jesus did something significant in his culture. He opened the table to anybody. As we eat together, this is a significant thing that we do as we receive communion, signifying that there's one table and one heavenly father at the head of the table, and we all join together, and we're in relationship with each other, and we're in relationship with him. Revelation 3.20, I love the King James version of this. It says, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It uses the word sup. <laughs> you know, supper. Significant time. End of the day time. Not, not a quick lunch. Not a quick breakfast. But at the end of the day when everything's done. All the chores are done. Gathered with the family. Real relationship. I like how the New Living Translation says it too. It says, look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. <laughs> Your Heavenly Father is inviting you to relationship, to friendship, to, to, to son and daughtership. You know, he, he doesn't want just your obedience. He wants you to live in his love and love him back. I'm going to play a video on communion. And, and then, Vicki, if you can come play while we receive communion in just a moment. <laughs> 